So as we start this morning our sort of weekly exercise and working through, the psalm for the day is Psalm 99. It's, an, it's, a, it's one of the psalms that simply extols God for who He is, with a particular emphasis on God as the God of justice. Psalm 99. The Lord is King, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is He. Mighty King, lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Extol the Lord our God. Worship at His footstool. Holy is He. Moses and Aaron were among His priests. Samuel also was among those who called on His name. They cried to the Lord, and He answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept His decrees and the statutes that He gave them. O Lord our God, You answered them. You were a forgiving God to them but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Extol the Lord our God and worship at His holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. As we prepare to to pray our prayer of confession together, let me reread one part of that psalm because it gave me pause to think about confession. Speaking of Moses and Aaron, he says, O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Now let us pray together and let us confess our wrongdoings together. If you'll pray with me. Most merciful God, We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. For the glory of your name. Amen. This is Exodus 24, 12 through 18. Moses about to receive the law. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua. And Moses went up into the mountain of God. 
To the elders he had said, Wait here for us until we come to you again. For Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain, in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. He was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. This summer, I went on a trip uh, with some Lipscomb students and faculty to Israel. So as part of our trip, uh, we also got to journey to the edge of Egypt. And we rode a bus into the middle of nowhere, into the wilderness, to the traditional site of Mount Sinai, where Moses receives the law from God. So we woke very early in the morning and made this two-hour hike to the top of the mountain. Before going, I had heard how some people have these dramatic spiritual moments atop Sinai. And this makes sense. This represents one of the most sacred events in the Pentateuch. God is present, and He gives the law. He is even somehow seen, whatever that might mean, by Moses. And yet, as I arrived at the top of Sinai, I had this unexpected sense, not of God being intensely present, But that if I was really looking now for the presence of God, that there is a better place to look. Where God is not obscured by a cloud, but takes on flesh and lives among us. As described so beautifully in the opening of 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Someone uh, will lead us and holy, holy, holy.
I'll be reading from First Peter. I'm sorry, Second Peter, one sixteen through twenty one. Just a little context in this one. So the letter was being written to a group where there were some folks who had lost a little bit of faith in Jesus coming back. So they were teaching some uh, some different some different teachings. And so the writer of the letter was saying, "No, this we have seen right some great things, and and trust us in this, um, and and hold strong to that faith." So Second Peter, one sixteen through twenty one. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty, for He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory, saying. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So if you're visiting, we, uh, if you're new to this class, we try to take a short pause between the readings just to let this sink in a little bit. So if you're wondering why we're doing that. Appreciate JR putting this in context so we know what's, um, why Peter is writing and why he cares. For Peter, orthodoxy, ortho, right, doxy, teaching, orthodoxy matters. It really is essential for Peter that we know, that the church knows who Jesus is, that they know what he's done, and they know what he will do. Jesus is not merely a great moral teacher, nor merely a clever rabbi, nor merely a social justice advocate. Nor was his identity some legend, cleverly devised myths, as Peter says, an embellishment by his apostles. No, he is the Lord and the Christ. How does Peter know this? He claims, we were on the mountain. We heard the voice of God. This is my son, my beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is the son of God. Not a son of God, the son, which indicates not only that he's the rightful Messiah, about whom the prophets testified. No prophecy, as Peter writes, ever came by human will, but those moved by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is also the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, the unique Son of God. And He will return to finish the work He began. Orthodoxy matters. Ortho, right, doxy, teaching. But so does orthopraxy. Ortho, right, praxi, conduct. Peter seems to see a direct line between denying Jesus' identity and disregarding the way of discipleship, divorcing orthodoxy from orthopraxy. 
Those who deny Jesus' identity also seem to deny the reality and consequences of sin. To deny that God took on flesh to save us from our sin seems to be connected with this belief that sin isn't that big of a deal. We can handle it on our own. We don't need God to fix this for us. Get the orthodoxy wrong, orthopraxy might follow. For those whom Peter is contending against, Jesus is not the Christ, the king to whom they owe their allegiance, whose kingly laws they must observe. And he is not the son who will one day return and call them to accountability. So Peter warns them, and by extension, us. Our culture tends to feed the lie that we can divorce orthopraxy from orthodoxy. We can live right without believing right. But I think a close look at those churches who've given up orthodoxy reveals that their orthopraxy soon runs out of steam. And this is simply logical. If we don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, why would we take up our crosses and follow him? We'll settle instead for a spirituality that's more about comfort and less about commitment. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Or heresy and apathy. The Gospel reading for today is from Matthew 17. It's another mountain story. It will be the story of transfiguration. But until we get to 17, the apostles don't know that yet. In fact, Peter has just told Jesus that Jesus is wrong about what's going to happen. He's he's taken his master aside to try to correct him. And then we come to this story. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. From the cloud, a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. 
we have a new Sinai moment here. The presence of God in a bright cloud overshadowing a mountain. But this time, the encounter is not focused around God and his servant Moses. Instead, it's centered around the Father and his beloved Son. The greatest leader of the Old Testament, Moses, is here merely as a supporting actor in this drama. And when God speaks from the cloud, we do well to listen. This is my Son, the Beloved, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. As God speaks from the mountain, it's kind of Sinai moments, and you have Moses and Elijah both present, something like the Law and the Prophets, It seems as though it's directing us to consider how what's true of Jesus is going to be something like a fulfillment of what the law and the prophets have been pointing to. And if we look at these four phrases here, we see that they have echoes in the Old Testament uh, that point us in this very direction. This is my son, uh, which seems to be coming from Psalm 2, the psalm that predicts the conquering messianic king who will subdue all rivals, and he will, quote, and this might sound surprising, break them with a rod of iron. The beloved might call to mind Genesis 22. Abraham, take your son, your only son, your beloved son. And whereas Father Abraham was merely tested, Father God will go farther. No angel will be sent to stay the hands of Jesus' executioners. The messianic king who will conquer all rivals, the one to be sacrificed. You hear something of the tension here. In whom I'm well pleased. This phrase seems to echo Isaiah 42, a passage that celebrates or looks forward to this enigmatic figure the suffering servant. Here is my servant, writes Isaiah, the one I love in whom I'm well pleased. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Sounds like the messianic king. And yet, he will not quarrel or cry out a bruised reed he will not break. It sounds like the sacrificial beloved. Apparently, the messianic king will bring justice and will conquer the nations, but he will do so through the path of sacrifice and service. And finally, at the end of this, you have this little phrase, listen to him, which is like a direct quote from Deuteronomy 18.15. As Moses' leadership is coming to a close, the Israelites are told that God will raise up a prophet like Moses, and you are to Listen to him. A new Moses. The law has been pointing to and preparing for someone and something greater, and that someone and something is here in Jesus and the kingdom that he is bringing. And there is no reason, like Peter, who continues to put his foot in his mouth, to tally on the mountain and build these little temporary shelters. No, now is the time to follow the Messiah. It's time to follow the Son. It's the time to give our hearts and our love 
to the beloved. To serve alongside the servant in whom God is well pleased. And to listen to the prophet who is far superior to Moses. And if someone will lead us. Oh, worship the King, oh, glorious above, and gratefully sing, as thunder draws off, our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor, and girded with praise, children of dust. What do we believe about God? Right away, the creed uses the language of Scripture, God is Father. It is an echo of revelation when Christians use this word. It is not an idea based on speculation or philosophical reasoning. Jesus reveals God as his Father. He relates to God as his own Father and invites us, his followers, to share in the same relationship. He calls God my Father and your Father, John 20, 17, and your Heavenly Father, Matthew 6, 14. He teaches his disciples to pray, our Father, Matthew 6, 9. That is, to stand alongside Jesus and to address God in the same way Jesus does. Jesus' relationship to God is unique but also inclusive. Jesus calls God Abba, Father, and his followers are empowered by the Holy Spirit to pray in the same way, Romans 8, 15 through 16. That is what it means to be baptized into the triune God. By the Spirit, we are immersed into the life of Jesus so that we come to share in his position before God. Jesus is God's child by nature, and we become God's children by grace. Jesus is born of God. We are adopted. So when we confess that God is Father, it is not a theological idea, but a confession of the defining relationship of our lives. We call God Father because that is what Jesus calls God, and because Jesus has invited us to relate to God in the same way. Today, many Christians are uneasy about this word. Doesn't it give a privileged place to masculine language? Doesn't it imply that there is gender in God? Doesn't it reinforce the picture of an old bearded man in the sky? These might sound like contemporary concerns, but early Christian teachers were already very sensitive to these problems. They took pains to explain that the Bible uses the word father without any connotations of gender. 
In fact, this was one of the things that distinguished Christian belief from ancient pagan ideas about the gods. There was a colorful cast of Greek and Roman gods. Some were male, some were female. They could be passionate, hot-headed, lustful, unpredictable. They could change their minds. Early Christian teachers were careful to differentiate the god of the gospel from the gods of Greek and Roman culture. The pagan gods are many, but the God of Israel is one. The pagan gods can fly into a rage, but the true God is unchangeable and therefore totally reliable. The pagan gods can be inflamed with lust, but the true God seeks the good of humanity without any self-interest. The pagan gods can arbitrarily turn against human beings, but the true God consistently seeks our good. And while the pagan gods can be male or female, the true God totally transcends gender and the body. I'm going to lead us now in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Send our meditations this morning by reciting the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We'll close in a minute with a prayer, but this is the part of our time together this morning that, that should not feel like church, because this is where you get to talk back. Right? Um, so we're curious, what, what has this time of meditation and prayer and scripture led you to think of? While you're thinking, I'll, I'll tell you what I recognize today. Um, reading that passage on the Transfiguration, after the passage about Moses going up on the mountain, and after the epistle where Peter is writing saying, we didn't just make up these stories. We, we saw him. We heard the voice of God say these things. Remind me what a unique story this is. It reminds me how the value of Scripture is that Scripture is witness. It's, it's how Peter tried to remind people that what happened really happened when he's writing that letter. 
But I think the most amazing moment to me that I never thought about was at the end of the Transfiguration story. After the, the apostles who followed him up there have fallen flat on their faces because they're scared to death. And they've seen something that they can't even quite explain. And when they open their eyes, there is Jesus all alone. And it seems to me that all three of these passages are, are how people come to understand who is God anyway. For Moses, it was that presence on the mountain. Remember when Moses comes down, his face is so shiny they have to cover it with a veil for a while. And he sort of saw God and has a hard time explaining exactly what it was like. But for the apostles, they much more clearly see who God is, and it's not who they expected. It, but it is Jesus. All alone. He touched them and said, don't be afraid. That's when Peter heard the voice say, this is my beloved son. That, that to me was just, I never had quite seen it that way before. I was more focused on Jesus all alone as the point of that story as opposed to the spectacular Moses and Elijah figures and the dazzling white clothes and stuff. Anyway, that's just my two cents. What you what did you hear or or see or think in what we did today? I have one thought, and that is, I've always thought of the transfiguration as this little thing that happened here, but the reality is, is that most of everything is living in a transfigured state, only we're not. We're this little thing against a vast aura of, of, not, of transfigured. In other words, maybe they're thinking this story should be called the disfiguration. You know, it's, 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 it's like, um, because they're all transfigured. And when I think about life that way, it helps. You know, that ties into Josh's sermon, believe it or not, where he's talking about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Spoiler alert, there's one second sermon. But Josh, Josh was trying to make the point that, that that parable is about a transfigurative vision. That who how we see people for Christians is transfigured by being Christ. How we see people should transfigure them, so that when we see those people, those awkward neighbors, we learn to see Christ and Christ alone. I, that whole image of transfiguration, yeah, it really does come through. That's a really good comment. One more. I uh, appreciated the references to the Old Testament uh, in the This Is My Son. I've never heard that before. But it's, cool. it's like it's connected or something. <laughs> well, this time, let's end. Um, I'll end with this collect. I'll, I'll pray it over us as a kind of as a parting prayer. Oh God who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed His glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of His countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into His likeness from glory to glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, 
who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. So go in peace. Thank you.